I will ask first if you will pray with me. Holy and living God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you. And Lord, let us go from this space knowing that we too can hear hard things and yet also see the gospel good news in them. Lord, these things we pray in your holy and precious name and all God's people said. I believe it was later in my college years, junior or senior or so, I was pretty active in my Auburn Wesley Foundation, which is a mostly Methodist-affiliated campus ministry at the time. And I was having a fairly stressful last couple of weeks uh, at the end of a semester. Now, uh, for you that don't know, a stressful week for a college student means that I was eating shepherd's pie for four days, uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and I had a finals in the next week or two that I was stressing and preparing for. Uh, Though it may seem small in comparison, still yet stress and anxiety abounds. And so we start from this place, and I hope maybe you have a place in your own life where you might... Come and be with me in this. But we move on from that because at the end of a week, I was really looking forward to a retreat that the Wesley Foundation was about to go on. Uh, Just one single overnight at a a small camp outside of town, a nice woodsy area with beautiful scenery, a small pond that you could walk around. And I was so looking forward to this time away, this time of care for myself, for my soul, my spirit, a little bit of rest and Sabbath. This time I was really looking forward to, and it it got better and better the more time I spent there. We started in the morning working in a garden, getting our hands into the dirt, working with plants and pulling weeds and really getting attuned to the earth. A beautiful experiment, always. And then in the afternoon we would spend some time after lunch in silent retreat where we had a chance to read a book or take a nap in a hammock, or take a walk around the pond. And this continued to build within me this beauty and desire to be a part of nature, to be inspired by the creative work of God in this world. I continued to feel welled up with excitement and wonder, and the Holy Spirit working in my midst. Now after dinner and doing a little bit of cleanup, we moved to the later evening where we would journey through the woods, late at night, and find a small chapel. And as we walked into this chapel, you can imagine if you've been to a setting like this before, the scenery was just right for worship. In the dark of the night, you could see some flickering candle lights coming through the little windows on this small wooden chapel. And as you walk in, you hear that sound of a light guitar being played off in the corner, or maybe even a little bit of humming to go along with a tune of a song we were about to sing. Worship started, as it always does, with some call to attention of where we are, what is happening in the midst of life, and allowing that to be influenced by the scripture that speaks to us, peace, calm, and salvation. We hear messages and we sing songs and I continue to get more and more involved in the work of the Spirit in my life in that moment. In the midst of all of that anxiety and stress, it washed away so that I felt this peace, this understanding that I was loved and cared for. And then it happened. We moved into a little bit of discussion about sin and failure. And and while that hit hard, there was, of course, the message of salvation through Jesus Christ. 
And at the end of that time, we sang a song. Maybe you've heard it before. Maybe you've sung it before. It goes, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That line making me feel at the peak of the Spirit's involvement in my life, excited, relaxed, overwhelmed with this idea of a Jesus that in the midst of my menial stress and anxiety at that point in my life would die for me, would bleed for me, and I felt loved beyond all compare. Maybe you've had those moments before. I hope so. Maybe it will be today. But I remember as we began to walk out of this space, as I moved out into the night getting ready for bed, as we departed, my friends and I, we walked by a young woman who had been new with us in the Wesley Foundation. She was sitting a little bit towards the back by herself. She didn't quite have as many friends as she was looking for. And so in this moment, she was there at the end of the service, staying after, crying. Now, the tears weren't all that abnormal. Many of us were crying for this powerful moment to be effective in our lives, but her tears seemed a little bit different. And so we sat down and we began to ask questions. Are you okay? Expecting maybe that response, yes, I'm just as you are, overwhelmed with this love and care, but she responded with something we didn't expect. With a little bit of hesitation, she began to speak about her life, and in the midst of what she is struggling with, in that moment, so that for the last several months, she had come down with the disease that left her bleeding on a regular basis from her own menstrual cycle. I know that may seem an awkward thing. If that seems uncomfortable for church, I'd invite you to go look at the end of Luke chapter 8 and see Jesus dealing with something very similar. But I remember in this moment that scripture coming to my mind and thinking, now I've got something to say, offer to this woman uh, that she's in the midst of suffering, something that the Bible has shown and that Jesus will be a part of too. But before I could offer those words, she continued to speak. Those words that hit me with such profundity, uh, such a nature of love and care that nothing could wash away my sins but Jesus' love and blood for me, they hit very differently for her. You see, as that line gets sung, nothing but the blood, her only thoughts were, why? Hasn't my own blood been enough? Why is more blood necessary for my salvation? Why? Friends, I welcome you to this series. Let's be honest about church is what we're calling it. And I, and I hope and I pray that as we walk forward that there's moments of honesty that may seem a little bit uncomfortable. And yet as we move forward, we see a Jesus present in them as well. Uh, my name is Stefan Margerson. If I have not met you, I would love to introduce myself after this service. But as we move forward into this season, we walk forward with some ideas about revelation and light, just as we talked about last week at Epiphany. You remember some of these lights that we lit up here for Epiphany, the light of revelation that works in the midst of our lives. And for me, that moment of that woman expressing what difference she saw in those words that I held so closely, well, that turned on a light bulb for me. I saw it a little bit differently. And that's a little bit of the impetus behind this series. 
as we move forward, I want you to know that these are not things that I have simply come up with, that Ray and I and Melissa and Josh and others have gathered around listening to the world, listening to people who are in and outside of church and, and hearing a lot of those why questions from you and from others. And while the church has its own perceived notion about itself, a believed understanding about who it is, we know also the world holds one of the church too, do we not? And for all of us that are gathered in this room, many of you may be lifelong Christians grown up in the church for all, all that you know. There may yet still be some here in this building or in the spaces that you go and meet or maybe online just checking in with us today that did not. And yet they hear about what the church claims it's supposed to be in the world and sometimes they see it very differently. Our work for the next couple of weeks is to hear both sides of that and to wonder and ask and to wrestle with and to hear the words of Jesus that finds something beautiful in the middle. So I will ask for patience and courage and, of course, hope and faith as we move forward. Where do we begin as Christians? But with Scripture. In this story that we've read already this morning in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, this is after the Beatitudes. Jesus isn't done at the Beatitudes. That's not the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus continues on, and in these first couple of verses, we hear some harsh words from Jesus about what the people have expected them to be and what Jesus is asking them to be anew. And I've heard this scripture, especially that beginning portion, a number of times through my life, haven't you? Of this notion of turning the other cheek or going the extra mile, I've heard it preached quite a few times. Now, 15 or 20 years ago, it had a little bit of a different impetus. About 15 or 20 years ago, I heard it for the first time, and in that, I heard what they claim to be the perseverance that happens for us as Christians during persecution, that when life gets hard, that when the world comes against you to turn the other cheek, to go the extra mile, to persevere through those tough times, that's a good and an honest message. But then about five or six years ago, it changed. I heard a new message from someone else who preached, who talked about the political nature of those statements from Jesus. That when Jesus said, turn the other cheek, what he was doing is saying, now the other person who has hit you must hit you with their less dominant hands. Something that they wouldn't do unless it was to a slave or a servant. It was to take honestly what they were doing in that moment. To run the extra mile would be to say, when someone tells you to carry their load for a mile, it was illegal to go to two miles. And so if you went the extra mile, it meant that you were putting them in a position of being illegal, outside of the law, falling short of what they felt they understood. This is what I understood, what I heard, what I was gifted about five or six years ago. But today I hear it a little bit different. Today, in the midst of our discourse that happens in our world where so many find differences so easy to identify, where it seems so easy to cause harm, hurt to another person without ever even being in the room, I hear something different from this message. I can't help but hear an incredible tone of interpersonal relationship that Jesus is asking the people to be a part of, something much different, much more vulnerable than what I've heard before. As we move forward in this scripture, we might see that there are two people involved in each state. 
Uh, there's one person that's been hit or asked to go a mile or given the clothes off their back, and there's another person who makes that ask or causes that hurt. Now, in each case, it seems as though Jesus is asking the person who has been harmed to ask for more, to ask for more hurt in their life, and I think that's so peculiar. But but as I read that, as I think about it, I wonder if Jesus is asking that moment for the person who has caused the harm to acknowledge in the most real sense that they are, in fact, causing harm, causing hurt. In this sense, the person who has been hurt is saying, if you are going to hurt me, I want you to know that you are going to hurt me. So hit me again. So take all of my clothes. So make me go even farther, twice as far. Know that you are causing this hurt. Have you ever been hurt by someone else? Have you ever wanted to tell them that they hurt you? If you are in a marriage, or if you are dating someone, if you have siblings or or best friends, or if you have parents or children, I imagine that at one point in your life you have been hurt by another person and wanted to tell them just so. And some of you, you took the high road and you went to that person and you said, you hurt my feelings, I did not care for what you did, what you said was not pleasant to me. You took the high road in that. Some of you decided to take the middle road and you you took some sticky notes and you began to uh, place them around the house on the mirror or in their car, passive aggressive at that, and so that they would see that you were upset. Some of you in the middle road just give that side eye. I know that side eye. I've felt it before. Others of you have taken the low road and in the car ride on the way to somewhere, you remembered that you have a small can of sardines and you just cracked it open and slid it under the seat. I'm not saying you did that. We all have these experiences of being hurt in the world and a desire to share that we have been hurt. And in this moment, Jesus is asking us not to take any of those paths. It's kind of strange, actually. It's not the high road or the middle road or the low road. It seems as though Jesus is asking us to walk into the woods with this person, to go off the beaten path, to go to a place that we don't understand, and to acknowledge this hurt in such a profound and vulnerable way. Wow. So what do we do with that? What do we do with this message in a world today? Here's where the message might get a little bit hard for us if we've grown up in church for quite some time. Here's where we might put our defenses on, but please listen. The phrase is, and for this title, it's called Church Hurts. Church Hurts. That through history, we have to acknowledge and reconcile that people have been hurt by church. And now for some of those, it's just the long-standing historical places in which church has been a part of the detriment of the world. That is true in history. For, for others, it's been a little bit more recent that in the last 50, 70 years that people have been asked to dress a certain way or to act a certain way or more recently to be a certain way. Uh, For others, it's those moments where we, unintentionally, loving the words that we use and the theology that we understand and the songs that we sing, we cause unintentional harm by somebody who has lived a very different experience of life than we have. 
Like in that story I shared with you from the beginning, where we love and appreciate the work of the blood of Jesus to offer us salvation, yet for someone else, that is hard to hear, that is painful. For others who, while we lift up celebration that God is our Father, others have lived in relationships where children and father have been much more distant, broken, hurting. For those that we celebrate the virgin birth and the miracle of Jesus being born, yet also are people all around the world who struggle with infertility, who have births that don't go as planned, they hurt. In these things we see as the world looks at us, the church, the church claiming to be all good and all wonderful, and yet we and they are both confused at how anybody could be hurt by the church, we have to do that work of acknowledging where hurt is. But I don't want you to stop here in your defenses. I don't want you to lift up your scripture in other places where you think as though it's it's saying that this is okay. I, I don't want us to do any of that. I don't want us to follow through with this understanding of church hurting in the world. And I want you to ask the question, that is our question for this year, is it not church? Why? Why does church hurt? And the answer to that is it's pretty simple. The church hurts because church hurts. Now, not in the same way that I just said it. Church hurts because church hurts. Church hurts because the church itself is hurting. Throughout its history, it's been persecuted. In other countries, it still is. In our place today, we see as the church declines in America across all denominations, for us personally, as we walk through life, we went to worship with people before COVID that we knew and loved, and yet they are not here in the pew next to us that they used to warm. In these ways, and many more, church hurts. And this acknowledgement, it's not an excuse, it's an acknowledgement of what's going on. And the fullness of understanding what hurt is in the world, we understand how we might move forward. Because we as people, if we are blind to that, if we ignore that, if we don't acknowledge the hurt that is all around outside the church and inside the church, then how can we offer healing like we promised to? Because inevitably what happens in all places in life, and we are part of all places because we are people, are we not? That hurt people hurt people. That people who are hurting cause other hurt to happen in the world. That is how we work as humans. And so as we work towards this healing, let it be holistically. And so I know what you're asking, where's the good news? And and church, I'll ask, will you take your hands and just shake them out a little bit? Just shake your hands of all that we've held so far. You might have had a clenched fist for a little bit in all that I've said. I I understand that. It's not easy for me either. And yet as we wring our hands for that and we look for the truth, we look for the goodness, we look for the good news, I'm going to say it one more time. So bear with me. In the good news, church hurts. But I don't mean it like the first time, and I don't mean it like the second. I don't mean that church is causing harm in the world. I don't mean that church is hurting on the inside. I mean that when you're here, church begins to hurt a little bit, in a good 
way, though. What kind of way, you ask? What kind of hurt is good? Well, it's the good that I experienced today as I stand before you yesterday running one of the longest runs I've run this year, having taken a long break from that. That kind of hurt. Church, it hurts for you sometimes as you gather into those spaces in the new year and experience the pain of working out at the gym for the first time or the struggle of letting go of that cookie on the counter for your diet at the beginning of the year. I'm saying church hurts in this way, the good kind of hurt where you have walked out of a relationship that has been harmful for so long and yet now you finally feel free. That kind of hurts. The hurt where you have been distanced from your relationships for so long and finally you feel strong enough to walk back in. That kind of hurt. It's this hurt that we are working on bettering ourselves. That's that hurts, that is in the good news. You see, this is a part of the core of who we are, of who Jesus has asked us to be in this world, that we are people who are constantly transforming, not just the world, but ourselves also, to better ourselves as people, to better ourselves as Christians. And just like anything else we try and strengthen in life, it comes with a little bit of good hurt. That's a part of the good news. I work in this and I hold closely that the world is full of pain. And I try to remind myself as often and from time to time I come up with little sticky notes of things that I can hold on to. This is one of those. It's not passive aggressive. This is from Martin Luther King Jr. He says, when our days become dreary with low hovering clouds and our nights become darker than a thousand midnights, we will know that we are living in the creative turmoil of a genuine civilization struggling to be born. As we move out into this world, as we move out into this season, as we move out into our lives, let it be so, church, that we are looking for ways in which we are growing that we are finding places in which we can live into the second half of this scripture that challenges us ever so much. You got the children's message version here, but let you take fully to heart what this word is saying, that you go out and love not just your neighbor, but your enemies also. Yes, the people that you don't like. Yes, the people that you might say you hate. Yet the people that you see so differently from yourselves that you love them, that you pray for them, that you try and find ways to lift them up, that this scripture calls us to be complete, and in other verses, perfect. Uh, this strange thing, I, I try to capture as best I can, but again, Martin Luther has good words. This challenge for us, he says, he refuses to accept the idea that the isness, that is the nowness, the present state of man's present nature, makes him immorally incapable of reaching up for the eternal oughtness that forever confronts him. I don't know how to capture in better words this idea of this work that we are always onwards except for this eternal oughtness of what we are called to be. This is a claim from Jesus. This is a claim from Martin Luther. This is a claim from us, the church, for us to be in the world. So church hurts. But there's still good news. There's a song I want you to listen to. Josh is going to come forward and play and sing that. I, I invite you just in a spirit of having an open heart and ear 
hear the words. This is written by Wilder Adkins. It's called Side by Side. And I think it captures beautifully what this work of not only Martin Luther King Jr. and our country and our world has created, but also what we, church, hope to be. So I invite you, I invite you to listen. As he sets up, uh, I remind you of the light of epiphany that is in your life, that you find moments where you can have aha revelations of God working in the world, and that you might have inspirations that are new and different. Peace, it don't come easy. Love, it don't come free. Martin Luther King said, Lord, I have a dream. Boys and girls of every color walking side by side. Brother, sister, come on, turn that darkness into light. Preacher crying out from 16th Street. Till we all have freedom, there is no man truly free. On into September, heard the people say Things just won't get better, four girls died today We will rise up singing, truly we shall overcome And we won't quit singing, till that day of glory comes It don't come easy, love, it don't come free Martin Luther King said, Lord, I have a dream Boys and girls of every color walking side by side Brother, sister, come on, turn that darkness into light Brother, sister, come on, turn that darkness into light. And we shall overcome one day. We shall overcome. 
deep in my heart I do believe one day we shall overcome.